I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. I have been receiving a lot of messages from parents who have concerns about their teenagers' friendships in recent months, and no real surprise with that given the impact that these ongoing restrictions have had and continue to have on our teenagers' friendships and their capacity to stay connected with their peers. And while I have spoken about friendships at various stages of development on here before, I think it is worth spotlighting some areas of teenage friendships in particular. So I'm going to do that, you know, over the coming episodes of this podcast. Today, however, I wanted to focus on a a somewhat different aspect of relationship building with adolescents, and I was prompted to do so by a very specific request from a parent recently to help her better understand what is happening inside her teenager's brain so that she didn't feel like she needed to constantly fill in the gaps herself. I think that's so relatable, you know, when you can't quite work out what is it that they're thinking, feeling, what's happening here? And then we rush to fill in those gaps in a bid to understand, of course. She went on to explain, though, that she felt like she was getting so little out of her teenager when she sought to understand why something happened or why something wasn't done like it should have been, that she ended up getting frustrated and drawing an angry conclusion that it was because her son, you know, didn't care or was lazy or didn't think about anyone but themselves. And later, when she had cooled down, she spoke of feeling frustrated with herself that she hadn't managed to better understand him. She didn't give a particular example of a time this happened for this question, and it felt like it was a bit of a pattern in their relationship. But as I said, I think it's really relatable for parents of teenagers, so much so that I said, look, I'm going to discuss it here because I think a lot of people would benefit from thinking about this in this way. Mentalization is a word I want to introduce here. And mentalization is the process of making sense of each other and ourselves. This is particularly relevant as part of adolescent ego development. And the concept of mentalization is actually rooted in the ability to attribute a variety of mental states, such as thoughts, beliefs, desires, and emotions to oneself and to others. It's an awareness that overt behaviors, that is what we do, are underpinned by our emotional and physical states, what and how we feel. It is a process of giving imaginative quality to information at hand. In other words, taking what little bit we know and allowing our own minds and imaginations to fill in the gaps, as was the case for the parent who contacted me. One of the easiest ways to understand how we do this is to, well, do it. So right now, As you are listening to this podcast, I want you to simply picture the scene I am about to read to you in your mind. There is no right or wrong way to do this. Simply allow your imagination to paint a picture or to bring this story to life for you in your mind. Okay, so I'll read it and all I want you to do is picture what I'm saying. You arrive home earlier than usual from work. You turn the key in the front door and you hear music playing loudly from upstairs. Looking around, you notice bags and clothes strewn carelessly across the floor. A loud thump is followed by laughter of more than one other person. You walk upstairs and open a bedroom door. 
Okay? Got it? If not, just pause and rewind a little now and listen to that nugget again. Once you have a picture in mind, I want you to answer the following questions of yourself. What colour was the front door that you saw? What was the music that was playing? What items of clothing did you see strewn around the floor? What caused the thump? Whose laughter was it? What door did you open? What did you see? What do you think was going on in this scenario? Tell the story as you saw it. And now accept that you might be right, but you might be wrong. I gave you very limited information and your imagination filled in the blanks. You gave imaginative quality to what I told you by picturing it in your mind using your own experiential frame of reference. You made a series of judgments and inferences about what was happening here that you might be right or wrong about because that is the thing with inferences and judgments. They are prone to error. The key with this process and the one that I think applies right across the parenting of teens spectrum is to stay in a position of not knowing but seeking to better understand. I know you have heard me say that so often in other episodes of this podcast but I truly believe it is the cornerstone of parenting, especially parenting teens. Be open to being surprised by the truth. In the theory of mentalization, this is called adopting the inquisitive stance. It's akin to what I often describe here as wondering. When you see, hear, and observe something with your teenager, or your child, whatever age they are, pause before you react and instead get curious and wonder about it. Wondering helps you to deepen your understanding of the situation, take in the perspective of your teenager, and perhaps others involved, and ensure that you respond rather than just react. Often what happens when we glean some small nugget of information is that we move very quickly to fill in the blanks of what is going on, leaping to all kinds of conclusions before landing on that aha, gotcha moment. No good comes from these types of gotcha moments. This process is about developing a capacity to put yourself in another's shoes, to be able to know how you view the situation or world while keeping another's views in mind. But this isn't some new fancy concept that kickstarts in adolescence. You mentalize all day, every day. It's just that nobody comes up to you and high fives you and says, hey, great job on the mentalization. It's just something you do. Children start to develop a capacity for considering another person's point of view way back in stage two of developmental play, which we've spoken about in a previous episode, but that's approximately four years of age when they engage in that projective, narrative, small world type of play. I'm flagging it here again because teenagers, developmentally, have lower levels of mentalization. They often express certainty rather than curiosity about the thoughts of others, especially as they perceive those thoughts and feelings to relate back to themselves. They can be quite rigid, concrete and even literal in their thinking. Let me give you another example of this in action. As a parent, you might say, I asked you to do the dishes, why didn't you? Do it now please before I start making dinner. And your teenager might suddenly snap and yell at you. I said I would do it when I'm ready. Give me a minute. They they might even stomp out of the room and slam the door as they go. 
And just like you made sense of your toddler's behavior with and for them, you're going to return to doing some of this again with and for your teenager so that they can better understand their own actions and overt behavior as underpinned by their confusing thoughts and feelings. But now it might sound something like, hey, I can see you're tired. That's you acknowledging their physical state after a long day at school. And when I asked you to do something for me before you had time to rest, you felt really frustrated. I'm now acknowledging your emotional state. So you yelled at me and then slammed the door really hard. And I'm pinning that to the overt behavior, what you did as you walked away. You might then want to invite a relational repair through empathic acknowledgement, starting with taking responsibility. You might remember in a recent episode, I highlighted that taking responsibility for relational repair is always the parent's job. And it's because we want to communicate that no matter what else is going on in our relationship with our teenagers, the tension, the rows, that our connection to them matters way more to us than the row at hand. So when you take responsibility, you might go and say, look, I'm sorry that I didn't think about this from your point of view. Why don't you take some time to lie in your bed or watch an episode of your show? And when you feel rested, I'd love it if you could come and help me with dinner. Don't confuse this with a parent being permissive, weak or soft, okay? Because acceptance and empathy are fundamental to a more therapeutic approach to parenting because they call on us to engage with our own vulnerability in stepping back and reflecting on what happened, not only from our point of view, but also from the point of view of the teenager. And this calls on us to acknowledge that we might have misread a situation while considering the alternatives. They allow us to stay focused on holding our connection with our teenager at the core of how we parent them. And this is an act of strength and bravery that shows our teenagers that we are able to step back, reflect and repair in a calm, clear, connected and relational way. What better way to teach them to do this themselves? If nothing else, isn't it a better option than allowing a slammed door to escalate into a screaming row with punitive consequences and a standoff that trickles down into the entire family's evening experience? I definitely think so. A good way to bring a little bit of playfulness and creative communication into this, because once you do it yourself and you see how you do it, it's no harm to bring this to your teenager's attention, but you don't want to present it in a way that's, hey, sit down there till I talk to you about mentalization because, you know, they're just not going to do that. So a good way to play with this idea with your teenager is to write a number of relatable scenarios on scraps of paper, fold them over and place them into a bowl. So these might be statements like, Dean swears aloud before he throws his phone across the room. Or Taylor redials the number again. It rings through to voicemail for the fifth time in a row. Or it is Saturday night and there is a party on in the house of someone in Jane's friend group. Jane is sitting in her room at home following what is going on on social media. Okay, so they're the types of scenarios, starter scenarios you're going to write down. Now you're going to have two sets of different colored paper if you can. On one stack, let's say the blue stack, is feeling statements. Things like, he was angry that she, or she was angry that he, or she was frustrated because her friend, or he was upset that he, or they were confused about. And on the other, let's say green stack, write out action statements such as he wouldn't listen, yelled at her, betrayed her, lied, didn't understand, excluded him or her, ran away, lashed out, punched, anything like that. 
And then you can have some additional pieces of information on yet another stack of paper. And let's, they could be red pieces of paper, for example, and we're going to call these ones plot twists. And only you hold these ones. And when you feel like the story could do with a plot twist, hand your teenager one of the red pieces of paper that gives them additional details that they now must adapt in, you know, their emerging narrative to take this new information into account. Okay, so you've all these bits of paper, you've got your starter scenarios, your feeling, your actions and your plot twists and have lots and lots of choices within these. And first your teenager reads out a starter scenario and then they must introduce um, a feeling and an action statement, maybe a few of each of these and then incorporate a plot twist. And what they're basically doing is they're taking those little nuggets of information and they're interweaving them with narrative to make meaning, to fill in the gaps. In other words, to mentalize the situation, just like you did at the start of this step, this episode. But it's a really playful way to do it because then you can have a go as well or you could follow the same story and tell your version of it, how you see it, what you think is going on, how that aligns or is different and highlighting how you can have different perspectives on the same scenario or read little bits of information in different ways. You can bring in wondering and say, okay, but I wonder, could it be something else? Could it be this or could it be that? And see how your teenager can adapt to your wondering and if it brings them deeper into the narrative that they've been developing. This is also, by the way, a great activity for a group. If there are any teachers listening, it's a great way to separate your class into little small cluster groups and have them all work out the same nuggets of information and then share together the different star stories, the different interpretations that they came up with. So give it a go and have fun with it and just always hold in mind you might be right and you might be wrong. Stay out of certainty and hold that position of curiosity. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-Minute Parenting.